And so at 24 years old, yeah, I'm not thinking about you know, really starting a business. Yeah, I, I kind of envision myself in the, in the corporate world, but you know, realize that ladder is pretty tall, sure, pretty steep, yeah, skinny. <laughs> And, yeah, and you, you, you have to sing a certain tune to get up it. And if you don't sing that tune, it doesn't matter how qualified you are, how smart you are, how motivated you are, you just won't get up well, it. Well, and I saw the bureaucracy. Yeah. And I saw the red tape that these these huge companies just, just allow to become prevalent within their their organization. Yeah. And I, I, it drove me crazy. So... While I thought that's what I wanted to do, I quickly realized it, it, the corporate world is not is not for me. Yeah. These the big companies too. I've 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 been thinking actually about this quite a bit. They fool you into thinking that you as an individual you're more important than you really are, and they 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 insulate you from the real world in a way. And so I'll I'll see some of these big people that work for these big corporations. And you'd think they'd really understand the game of business, but then you realize, you start to talk to them, you're like, you have no idea how the world works, do you? Because you've been so insulated, like, you know, um, you know, say you're working for McKinsey or something like that, you know, you're staying at the nice places and going to nice dinners and like you're in the, just living this high class life. Then you just start to, I, I think by default, just assume that that's how life works. <laughs> Wait a minute. <laughs> yeah. As an entry level analyst. I was yeah solving the same problems, yeah, and there was no progress. It was just hey, here's a problem, here's a flaw in our system, and you're going to clean it up, and we're not going to fix the flaw. Sure. You're just you're just going to clean this this up, and this is just going to be this never ending cycle of cleanup. Yeah. You're not doing any analysis. You're gonna you're gonna clean up this mess that we have. Yeah, but we're going to continue to make the mess, and you're just going to be you're you're gonna you're going to be the the, the cleaner. Yeah, until you get promoted and then somebody else can come in and yeah, take your place. And then you're just cleaning something a little higher up. But, but, but <laughs> yeah, well, instead of fixing instead of fixing the flaw, it's you know, hey, you know, we were, we just have somebody who you know, cleans that mess. But that but that's how that bigger business system is designed too, and and especially with any public company is we're all we're concerned about is this next quarter. Right. That's all that matters. Stock price. That's, we just want good <laughs> results for this quarter. Yeah. And it locks you, it, it, that you almost can't fault them because they're in this system that requires them to play a certain game. You are hitting the nail on the head. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah it, it's, it's, it's fascinating. I'm glad I didn't get caught up in it for, for long, but how uh, your dad says you need to go start your own business. How do you come up with? You said he was in concrete cutting. He was in concrete cutting. Okay, so it was so he, on the periphery. He hands me this magazine because I asked him about going into business with him. Yeah, and at first he's like, "Hey, that'd, that'd be really cool." And you know, if you do well, maybe you could wind up buying the business from me at, at some point in time. And then about a week later, he said, "Hey." I think this is wrong. I've got people who've worked here for a long time. They've done a tremendous job. I'm very loyal to them. I really think you should try something on your own. And he told me years later, I had this feeling that you would always have this doubt. Could you have built it? Could you have started the company and yeah. built it? Yeah. Even if you took it over and grew it from whatever it was when you took it over to, yeah. Many times, 
uh, you know, whatever the value, whatever the, the, the revenue was, or um, there could be this uncertainty. Yeah. Could you have started it? Yeah. And uh, so he gave me a magazine and in that magazine, the magazine was an industry publication called Concrete Openings. And there was an advertisement for this ground penetrating radar in the magazine. And one of the applications that it listed was help find electrical conduits that are either embedded within or below concrete slab. Uh, and I knew from helping on those jobs, if they were going to flat saw on a, on a concrete slab, they were probably going to cut through electrical sure. at, at some point in time. Yeah. And yeah, I helped on a lot of jobs when I was a kid in, in high school, college, and it just seemed inevitable. That, uh, that if they were cutting a trench, they were going to cut through some conduit. Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. Okay. This is a business that, that could, I mean, I, I think there's a need for this. I mean, this, this helps solve a problem mm -hmm. that, that I know exists. So uh, the biggest challenge was I would go see, I remember I'm a 24-year-old kid. I mean, I'm, everybody can tell I'm, I'm, I'm pretty green. Here. Yeah, yeah. But uh, I'd go into these, yeah. Construction sites, just walk into the trailer or go into offices and meet with the project management or the estimating team and tell them what I was doing. I say ground penetrating radar. They're like, hey, dude, we're not looking for treasure on these sites. Yeah. So, yeah. What are you, James Bond? Like, <laughs> <laughs> we are, we're, we're building buildings or we're, we're putting in utilities. We're not looking for treasure. I'm like, look, give this a shot. And so what I, to, get people, I was given free demonstrations, free demonstrations after free demonstration uh, to show them how this would apply to you know, the, the construction industry. Yeah. And I gave one at a hospital in Michigan and the engineering team within the hospital, like the facilities group, they called me back the next day and they said, Hey, you know, we heard about this thing that you were using up here and you marked something on the ground. What is it? That, that you have and so well it's, it's ground penetrating radar and i use it within concrete to help find electrical that's in the path of saw cutting yeah. and they said well you you knocked this one right out of the park they said yeah, we were going to cut and you marked something so they, they chipped around it they said it was a three-phase 480 volt conduit that, uh, that was right in the path of the cutting they said, we, we weren't into this all the time in this hospital, uh -huh. you know, we would, we'd like to see what you have. But that one demonstration, uh, I spent five years in the field before I came out to really focus on growing the business. I probably did four to 500 jobs at that hospital after, after that one demonstration. And so, but, but to do the demonstration, you had to get the, the machine. Oh yeah. You, and and it's not a cheap piece of equipment. No. So you, you, from the beginning to even just prove the concept, you have to shell out quite a bit of money. Yeah. You're, you're betting on yourself <laughs> sure. and, and you're betting, yeah. that, Hey, this, this is a good idea. Yeah. And I, I think that I can show value with, with the service that I'm offering here, but yeah, with, with, with some confidence. Now I did not have a lot of confidence in my ability at the time. I, I yeah. tell people I was, uh, I was nervous on the way out to be trained on how to use this equipment. And when I flew, when I flew home, I was terrified. Like, okay, now I've got this training. I, I pretty much know how to turn the equipment on, and I know what the data should look like on the screen. 
But now I've got to use this theory to apply it to the real world and yeah, provide value for a customer base. Can you explain to like an eight-year-old how it works, the technology works? Yeah, it, it sends out, maybe not an eight-year-old. Well, can we go with like 15? That's fine. Okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, uh, it sends out an electromagnetic pulse you know, from the antenna. And then it responds based on changes. The data that's output on the screen responds based on changes in the electrical properties of the material that it interacts with. Uh So if you have a steel rebar within concrete material, very consistent concrete material, and a steel bar is going to kind of jump off the screen. We're going to be able to pinpoint the exact placement of that bar or that electrical conduit. Sure. So the response base of steel would be very high conductivity. And if you had an empty PVC pipe, air, there's no conductivity in air. Mm-hmm. So we'd see a very low yeah, negative reaction. I see. So concrete is one application. Underground is another application. Yeah. And it's a little more difficult because the dirt is not as homogeneous as, as concrete is. Uh-huh. So you can have a mix of both well, real world, yeah, asphalt over gravel, over sub-base, over maybe sand, then clay. And they all have different properties. And they all have different properties. So yeah. we have to yeah, adjust our system a bit to, uh, yeah, whatever the situation. Yeah. And so, and going back to the early days, they build, and I'm not, I'm not a building guy. I'm not a building guy. I only know about this from demolition, working with demolition contractors okay. because they'll go do, and especially nowadays, you know, they'll take a, some old, like right next door, they'll take some old industrial building and make it into some fancy place now yeah. is the, is the hot thing to do nowadays, that's especially, cool. especially in the yeah. Rust Belt. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, of course. Like this, you know, let's take, th- this was a meatpacking plant. So let's take a meatpacking plant where they were murdering cows all day, every day. Condos. It's got condos. Written and all turn over. it into condos. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And charge like a ton of money for it. Yeah. Uh, but to do that, to, to make these spaces into something else, you got to start to like in this example, you got to cut the concrete in different ways. And so you have to do openings or like I've seen like downtown Chicago will be a few stories up and they want to build, put it in the staircase. It's a open things up and then you, you have to cut the existing concrete or slab ele- elevators or, or elevators, HVAC, yeah, plumbing, yes. electric. Yes. And, you know, if you're, you've got uh, antennas on top of the building, you know, those have to get power from somewhere. Those have to uh, sure. be able to transmit their signals somewhere. So, yeah. And that's all run through piping that's in that framework of, of the building. Yeah. And so you got to figure out what's in the concrete before you start cutting. Or yes. you could have an expensive whoopsie. Yes. Or a dangerous whoopsie. Yes. I mean, you cut Both. a power cable or a, a post-tension cable, something like that. That's it. It is game over a lot that, of times. That's it. So what's what's happened in the last, I'll say, 10 years, um, we, we've, seen, we've seen a bit of a shift in the industry where I would say prior to 10 years ago, the majority of the industry was still very reactive where, hey, Matt. We just we just hit a gas line on this site. Yeah. Before we dig anything else, you come out and check. You know, for our, for other utilities in the area. Uh-huh. And in the last ten years, we've seen a shift where, hey, we're going to be digging next week, and we'd like you to come out in advance of our excavation. Yeah. So you can identify yeah, anything. So we don't have those surprises. We don't have 
we, we minimize some of the risks that are associated with excavation or you know, drilling into the ground, cutting in concrete, drilling through concrete. It, it's, it's, it's been a good shift, yeah. It, increasing the safety performance of yeah, contractors all across the country. Well, and now it's almost written into specs in a lot of cases. It is. You're required to it, do it. We are seeing definitely an increasing trend you know, with, with, with that as well. Yeah. Uh, um, before we get too far, uh, you said you started right after 9-11? I did. Yeah, the company officially started on September 17th. That's a crazy date to start a business. Well, everything was planned before. Sure. And then that's... How, how, how was business post 9-11? Because I, I, well, I was six years old. Okay. Uh, I was born in 95. So I remember it happening. I was in kindergarten, but you're a child. You have no idea what's going on. And really the only memory I have after was like going to the airport and how the airport like totally different overnight. We traveled quite a bit growing up because my dad, my dad flew, he'd have to fly to oftentimes just New York City every week. So he was working on the East Coast, but we lived in Phoenix, Arizona. So he was on planes all the time. And, and sometimes we'd go with him, you know, wherever he was going. It was an awesome deal. Yeah. Uh, but I remember, like, I, I have a distinct memory of when you're parking at the airport, you go get your ticket and you just drive into the, the airport. But when right after 9-11, you'd park, uh, you'd get your ticket, but then there would be like federal agents there inspecting your car before you went to park at the airport. Or in some of those big airports, New York, Boston, Chicago, you'd see military personnel in their full fatigues yeah. with M16s standing in the airport. It, not something that we're used to here in, the, here in the U.S. Yeah, because it was pretty loosey-goosey before. Like, TSA didn't exist before. Well, I think, I think the perpetrators of 9-11 saw some vulnerability in our system. Yeah. And, yeah. Well, that's that's a whole can of worms. But um, yeah, how, did it did it really impact you starting no. a business? Or no, it didn't because we were starting. I mean, it was. Yeah. It was yeah. I I think again the biggest challenge of starting the business was creating this awareness, understanding that hey, this is not ground penetrating radar. We are introducing this to the construction industry for the purposes of damage prevention, for the purposes of increasing you know, safety on construction sites. It's not, we're not looking for tre treasure. We're not looking for some archeological you know, artifact. You know, we are using this for the express purpose of damage prevention on, on construction sites. Yeah, and I, in thinking back, like, um, you know, COVID was our third year in business, but we had just started to really get going. And you almost, especially as a small business or really getting going, you just don't know any better. So you almost just assume that that's just how things are and you just make it happen, whatever the conditions are. Uh, so like I, like COVID wasn't a big deal for us because I just don't think we knew any better. Like we didn't really know how business was before. So and, we're just and, like, oh yeah, you know. And your right, company cool. was smaller. And yeah. Yeah. It, you could move real quick. So 2008, yeah. yeah a, lot of, a lot of people ask, you know, how did GPRS do in 2008? Yeah. We grew 92% wow. in 2008. So where a lot of companies were yeah, really struggling, people were getting laid off. It was a struggle for a lot of businesses. We only had a half dozen people in the company. So yeah. we had, you know, we didn't have a single market that had more than one person in it, but we were still on this 
at the bottom end of the curve for creating awareness. Sure. And so it was easy to grow a business that only had six people by 92%. Uh-huh. Yeah. But yeah. today, yeah. yeah, with nearly 800 people, it's not. Uh, so I, I would hesitate to say impossible, but I don't know how I would grow GPRS today by yeah, 90% in, in, in a year. Yeah. That, that seems impossible. Um, and that's an interesting point too. You started in 2001. By 2008, you said you just had half a dozen people. And so it took a while to get to any kind of mass, like to get past 10 people. I mean, that's seven years plus. So in 2006, we were awarded the Trump Tower project in Chicago. So interesting. it was the, uh, what's, what's unique about that project is it's the tallest concrete structure, at least it was at the time, tallest concrete structure in North America. So it's 92 floors huh. and there's not an I-beam in that building. It, it, it's all cast in place concrete uh-huh. foundation to top off. Uh-huh. and. So we were hired at the drill. There's a pedestrian bridge in downtown Chicago, right behind the Wrigley Building. So it goes from Michigan Avenue West to Wabash, the base of the the Trump Tower. And the, the Trump Organization had the, uh, the the rights to this bridge. Well, they had to bring it up to code. And the bridge is supported by I beams. So part of code is you had to ensure. There were a certain number of Nelson studs on every I-beam supporting this this concrete platform. And so what the city made the Trump Organization do was they had to manually install these Nelson studs to, to, to bring it up to code. So what we had to do was identify the edge of the flange on every I-beam and then yeah, mark the, uh, yeah, the perpendicular rebar so the, the core driller could come in behind, drill the core down to the beam, then they could weld the stud in place, epoxy it in, and then put a topping slab over. That, that, that brought, but there were 3,892 locations where, wow. where they had to do this. And so I was out there to help get the job started off. And while I was out there, we didn't have anybody in Chicago at the time. So I was reading this book at night, and the book was called The E-Myth, and The E-Myth written by Michael Gerber. And it said, the, the, kind of the main principle is the reason businesses either fail or they, 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 ever, they fail to ever grow is because the owner spends too much time working inside the business uh-huh. and not enough time working on it. Yeah. And he compared it to this, this bakery, and he said, imagine you have a bakery in town and there's a consistent line of customers, same people every day. They're out the door. And instead of the owner taking himself out of the process and hiring people to, to fulfill that process, the owner just keeps making muffins, mm-hmm. making cookies, you know, filling these orders. Mm-hmm. But if he were to remove himself, he could set up another bakery on the other side of town or in the next city sure. and replicate this model over and over and over again. And that book just hit me like a punch in the stomach yeah and th- this is what i'm doing I'm, I'm making muffins i'm making muffins with ground penetrating radar uh-huh. and i need to remove myself out of this process replace myself and focus on on growing this business so in 2006 we probably had five people 
And so beginning in January of 2007, that's what I did. I removed myself from the field, focused on growing the business, and uh, expansion came pretty rapidly beginning in 2008. I see. Yeah, it's it's easier said than done, though, and I see a lot of people fall prey to that. Or even, not even from a business owner standpoint, if you're, um, you know, a f- uh, an operator in the field and you want to be a foreman, if you don't train up the other operator on how to take your job over, you can't become foreman. And then you're foreman, you want to become superintendent. You can't become superintendent unless you essentially remove yourself from your position, replace yourself, and then you can move up to that because your employer's sitting there. No, you're too valuable. I can't, you, you, it's a, there's a curse in being too good and not relying on others and not training others up. And, 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 and it's especially so for business owners. And I got caught up in a different trap in a way, similar, but different. Like I said, we've been raising money for a few years now and I spent last year just raising money Mm. and I was told before it happened, don't get caught in this trap. And then you just walk, it's like, hey, this stove is hot. And you're like, all right, I got it. And then you go right over and touch it. And then you're sitting there afterwards like, why? They told, they, it was very clearly marked. I did not have to touch it. And yet here I am touching the damn stove. <laughs> um, and uh, I feel like the past few months, now that we've wrapped up the process almost, um, I've, I've, become uh just so much more aware of the business and and it's it's become a lot more fun like oh i can i can build the business again from the sense i should be like i'm not in the business i'm now like i got into the business in a different way but just too far down a singular path i guess and it took me away from all the other important stuff and now that i've gotten back out of it it's just like i've gotten a new life again i'm just i can breathe like Oh, oh, this is why I got into this to actually solve problems and to meet people and build stuff, not to go worry about finances nonstop. Um, and it, 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 and I, I've seen that with so many, so many people. Yeah, it's okay to make the mistake, right? But just don't repeat it. Sure. <laughs> you've, 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 yeah, you've learned a lesson there, and, and that, that's one of the, yeah, one of the opportunities we have. You know, Yes, you you will you will fall you will stumble, uh, but yeah, learn the lesson. Don't go there again. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. Um, when do you go beyond ground penetrating radar? Because I know you have a bunch of services nowadays. So yeah, we we partnered with private equity in 2017, and so you were ground penetrating radar the whole time, essentially. Yeah, that was that was the that was the core service within our business. We we brought on some supplemental equipment to help us because ground penetrating radar, like anything, has its limitations. We can't there there are so if the ground is really wet, if if there's heavy clay and, and the clay's wet, the the radar is gonna be limited in the depth that it can be effective. I see. So we brought on this these electromagnetic tools, radio detection and vivax units to help us. A lot of the stuff that you'll see the the one call locators use um, to supplement our uh, ability to find as much as we can on, like on a site. The guy with the wand out in the street. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, every one of our trucks has has that in it. And then in 2017, we partnered with private equity, 
And one of the greatest things that happened to GPRS in partnering with private equity is, you know, they, they really taught us how to do acquisitions to mm-hmm. you know, go talk to a competitor and say, Hey, how would you feel about joining forces you know, you know, with us? And so we would you know, buy these companies in, in different markets around the country. And their process was a little bit different than ours. Sometimes they had services they offered that we did not. Mm-hmm. So the first acquisition we did, they had a video pipe inspection. Uh. So they, they can run these cameras through sewer systems to check the integrity of the, the, the kind of a condition assessment, but the inside of the, what that sewer looks like. And to check for, you know, there's this huge rise in directional drilling over the last 20 years. Mm-hmm. And what often happens is when these directional bores are being drilled, they can often be drilled through a sewer and, and nobody knows. Yeah. So, so we'll use the, the video pipe inspection to do an inspection, you know, after the, after the cross bore is, is done. Yeah. I, sh- I shared a video uh, a little bit ago now, but it's a, <laughs> it's, it's a, it's a directional drill. <laughs> it's come out of the ground and into a car. <laughs> <laughs> and it's just sitting there <laughs> spinning in this car. They don't even know it's in the car yet because, you, you know, you don't know. It's like, where, where you know, what happened? <laughs> that's what insurance is for, right? Oh, man. It's like, that's a bad day at work. Um, did they, did you go to them? Did they go to you? So we we, we pursued our, our, the majority of our acquisitions we have pursued. I mean, I mean, private equity. Uh, they, they came to, they came to me. Um, yeah. they, they, we, were, we were getting a lot of calls and. Yeah, at first I was thinking, you know, wow, well, why, why, why are they contacting? Do they know what GPRS is? And you know, why, why, are they, why are they contacting me? And um, so I had several conversations before we we chose our partner, and we could not have chose a better one. We so we're we're now on our second round of private equity, and we've been blessed twice with just tremendous partners and. Uh, it, it it was like putting nitrous fuel in our in our engine. You know, we 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 had two hundred employees when we partnered with private equity in twenty seventeen, and we're just shy of eight hundred now in twenty twenty four. Were did you ever plan to go all across the country, or has that just naturally happened? Did I initially plan it? Absolutely not. Yeah, I remember I was standing on the uh, in probably two thousand three. So it's been business two years at this point, and I'm standing on the driveway with my father-in-law, and they were moving into a new house, helping him unload the the U-Haul. And we finish up, you know, one trip, and he we're taking a little break. And he says, "Hey, what do you what do you think you can do with GPRS?" And at the time, there's maybe two of us in the in the company, two or three. And I said, "You know, it'd be really cool. GPRS is based in Toledo, Ohio. That's where I live. That's where I'm from." I said, it'd be really cool if we could have someone in Detroit, someone in Cleveland, Columbus, Cincinnati, Chicago, maybe Indianapolis, Pittsburgh. Oh, the kind Rust of, Belt. Kind of that Great Lakes yeah. area. Yeah. And uh, so that, that's kind of the, the trajectory that I, that I started on. And then in, in 2006, I was on a job. Uh, we got a call from big... The, Huge company, uh, and I was at one of their distribution centers down in West Palm Beach, and I'm looking for a place to eat dinner one night. I'm driving down A1A, just looking for a place, 
And I see tower crane after tower crane mm. after tower crane. And every single building has post-tension cables ready to be torched off. You know? Yeah, yeah. And this is ridiculous. We are you know, a three or four person company yeah, based in Ohio. Why are they bringing us down here to do this job in Florida? Because I'm having this conversation with myself. Clearly, they can't find anyone locally to do this. Sure. So that's that's why we're we're, we're like a couple guys in our mid to late twenties. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and yeah. Uh, it's a lot so better in Florida in the winter too than it was nice Toledo. <laughs> <laughs> but the, right right there, I just had this epiphany. I'm I'm driving on A1A. You need to start putting people in every big city in the United States. Mm. If this is going to succeed in Toledo, you can make this succeed in Dallas and Houston and San Diego and LA. Anywhere with buildings, which is everywhere. My thought was population centers. If we look at where construction dollars are going to be spent, the vast majority of construction dollars are going to be spent in the biggest population centers in in the U.S. Can you, um, can we do a sidebar and can you explain post-tension slabs and how sure. that works? So the traditional reinforcing is uh, just rebar. So you rebar on a grid and that uh, helps provide the, the tensile strength in a, in a slab in between beams and columns. Because concrete from a property standpoint, very good in compression if you're pressing it together, but very weak under tension. Right. Yeah. So post-tensioning, and I'm not an engineer, so there's, there's your disclaimer, <laughs> but if you take this band of small you know, woven cables together and stretch it through a, sla- a slab and then place this tension out with a hydraulic jack, it provides even more strength. So you can create some efficiency in the in the building less steel generally thinner slabs and you can spread out your columns a, a little bit your columns and beams a little further so you've got more active you have more room for for floor space and i guess to to explain it to, to before we go on it, it you're basically you pour the slab and you have these pipes in there yes like sleeves yes and then you you have those steel cables through those sleeves and then you you put tension on either side of those cables to then be essentially push the slab into itself it's locked on one end and then pulled on the other yes yeah 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 yeah. after, yeah. after the concrete's cured yes yeah, yeah after the concrete's there so you're essentially pl- applying compression by tensioning the steel cable to the concrete to make it stronger but if that cable gets cut yeah all that energy's got to go somewhere right and uh-huh. so it can be very dangerous you know if you were to cut one of those post tension cables after it's been stressed it's under tension yeah there's there's horror stories i mean cables coming up out of the concrete and or shooting out the end of a building i've seen i've seen videos of that it's crazy yeah. see a cable shoot out <laughs> I mean, it's not funny, but it's pretty wild. Right. Yeah. Right. So, yeah, that's, I would say that that's probably you know, outside of electrical, that's probably our most common application within a concrete slab it's to just mark out post-engineering systems before core drilling. What uh, percentage is new construction versus existing? 
the vast majority of our work is renovation. Just reno- yeah. So okay. Yeah. Yeah. So we got a. We need to put a hole here. But we're just not sure what's there. Yeah, what you what you talked about. So I yeah. mean, your 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 office where we're sitting today. Yeah, it's kind of an industrial area that that's now there, there's there's renovation going on. There's they're the repurposing you know, the buildings. Yeah, you know, turning meatpacking plants into into condos. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so when that happens, it, they've got to install. Stairways. They've got to install elevators. They've got to install plumbing systems, electrical systems, communication systems, and all of that generally requires you know making openings, either through you know, saw cutting or through core drilling, uh, openings in in the concrete floors. Are you typically working uh, w- with who? Do you contract typically with a general contractor or building owner? I guess with a hospital, like a building owner. It's it's a mix. Yeah. Uh, so I would say the vast majority of our work today is with general contractors, electrical contractors, yeah, plumbers, and uh, HVAC. Sure. Uh, when for that's for uh, you know, work in in concrete. There's a lot of carryover on the on the utility side yeah. as well, but then uh, yeah, more uh, utility contractors and you know just dirt contractors. Yeah, and so the ground penetrating radar on the on the utility side of things, it's a similar premise. You essentially, and I've seen it only a few times. It's still it's still not all that common. It's like a little. It looks like a lawnmower almost. A baby stroller. Yeah, baby yeah, stroller. Yeah, yeah. yeah baby yeah. stroller. And you just basically drive this thing around. You push it around. Yeah. And it has that ground penetrating radar. So it's... So the only thing that really changes on the radar side is the frequency of the antenna. So in concrete, it's a higher frequency antenna. And the, the depth is not... The depth effectiveness is going to be you know, more shallow. With a lower frequency antenna, we're going to be able to see deeper into the ground. Um, and then the di- the display, the output is displayed in real time. So as the as that antenna moves over the surface, we're watching the screen, and as we see anomalies take place on the screen, it doesn't say, "Hey, there's an electrical duct bank here, and it's four feet deep." Yeah, we have to yeah, use some yeah, reasoning to yeah. So we'll we'll follow that anomaly. We'll get that anomaly to repeat itself over and over and over. Well, because yeah, if it's a pipe, it it goes somewhere. And so, oh hey, we had something here. So you go up a little bit more, and if you find it again, okay, all right. So now there's some consistency in data. Yes, and you can start to then infer that there's something here at yes, this depth. Correct, yeah. and yeah. then you know, we'll 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 just we'll follow that to you know wherever it ends. So if we see something going to a transformer, ah. <laughs> This mm-hmm. is electric. Then we sure. we also use other tools that that help us to kind of narrow down and identify you know what uh, what the targets are that we're we're seeing with the radar. It's interesting too because uh, you would think, and I th- I feel like I just talked about this maybe with Jason Miller from Midwest Mole. You'd think you'd know where everything is in the ground. If you put something in there, you're like, all right, cool, we have a record of that somewhere. But like especially on an old building like right right, right next door. Good luck. There's no telling what's under there and where it is. No idea. Like a treasure hunt. I mean, it is a treasure hunt. Really. <laughs> Going back to a treasure hunt. It, it, it's been a bit surprising. Uh, I would say one of the reasons GPRS exists and it's grown today is because you, you think about these you know, facilities, you know, uh, 
universities, hospitals, manufacturing centers, entertainment venues. And it's rare. We, we have seen you know, people that have tremendous records of what, what their underground infrastructure looks like. But that is absolutely the exception rather than the rule. Sure. As you think about a lot of these facilities, the, the constant renovation that, that takes place. Think of a university campus. There's always construction you know, taking yeah. place well, on, on that campus. And there, there are so many parties involved. So it's like, cool, we have a record of this over here, but then the record of the other stuff is over here. And those two things don't talk to each other. They don't even know the other one exists. Well, and, and then think about how old some of these records are. Yeah. So when, when some of these buildings were built. So you've got sewer and water on one set of plans. You've got electrical on another set of plans. And they're on these big 24 by 36 you know, pieces of paper that are stacked six feet high in, yeah. in the facilities office and then yeah, gas is on different set of plans and so one of the where, where we're going with gprs today you're where we're trying we have, we have a saying within our company called widen the gap we've built a considerable gap between us and our, our competition and we don't want to stay we, we don't want that gap to close mm -hmm. so what can we do how can we be innovative what are our customers going to expect from us in 2030. Sure. And if we can have that ready in 2024 or 2025, that's how we widen the gap. So what yeah. we're building is this, this, it's this software package. It's called SiteMap. And for the last several years, we've been storing every single finding that we make in the ground. So people use Google Maps today you know, to go from point A to point B. So our idea behind SiteMap is what if we create a Google Maps of underground infrastructure for these facilities so they have accurate representation of where everything is on their campus, all of our findings. And we don't have, there's, there are a few facilities where we've done a, a full survey for all utilities on site. Yeah. But with the use of the combined technologies that we have today, ground penetrating radar, the traditional you know, locating wands, like, like, like we said, video pipe inspection, you know, 3D laser scanning, you know, leak detection services now, we can put together these, these very comprehensive maps that they can, they can pull up the software, subscribe to, and they can see everything we've ever done on their site, you know, where, where it's all at. It's all together. If they just want to look at electric, they can only see electric. If they want to see all utilities combined, they can see all utilities combined and it's all at their fingertips. But it's mostly for like private. Yes. Uh, so when you call 811 and some guy shows up, how does that work? Is that a private business? Are those private entities coming out? They or? are private entities that have contracts with the utility. Okay. So then there's, there's some checks that, that take place. Do we, do we need to send someone out to go you know, mark utilities on this site? And yeah, that, that's uh, 811. We, we have a few 811 contracts within GPRS, yeah. but it, it represents about one and a half percent of our business. I see. I see. It, I see. It's uh, and we've we've inherited most of those from acquisitions that we've had since 2018. Okay. Yeah. I is eight one one a private enterprise? Eight one one is a enterprise that it's it's shared across states, and uh -huh. then 
utilities in different states will contract with different 811 service providers. So, uh, you know, whoever the electrical utility is here yeah. will hire a company. Hey, well, we have 811 requests for electric in this area. We're going to hire you, are going to be our provider. And there is, there's several 811 service providers you know, across the country. Uh, and this, this, this is a whole other can of worms. I read this book called California Burning. It's, okay. re- it's really good. I highly recommend it, especially for somebody like you that's into utilities and how this world works. But it, it goes into the whole, it, it gets into the weeds, but it's all about how these fires in California have really, really caused some trouble and, and some massive financial trouble for PG&E. And I didn't realize that a lot of public utilities are not public. They're private enterprises <laughs> that that are listed on the stock exchange and have traditional investors behind them like any other company. And it's kind of terrifying in some senses because it's like there's some competing objectives here <laughs> because, yeah, I, I get you need investment to build out these these power grids, for example, or or gas gas grids, for example. Um, I get you need outside investment. The government can't quite do that. But then it's now owned by a bunch of investors and there's just some competing objectives here. And so like PG&E, for example, they started to get into just how old their power lines were because they kind of had this wishy-washy inspection program like, you know, do we really need to replace that? Yeah, it looks good from the ground or from a helicopter, we're good. And then these things started to fail and cause tens of billions of dollars in damage. And then now they they try to program that when the winds got over a certain speed, they would shut the grid off. So just blackout, uh, which didn't go over very well. Go figure. Uh, because you, know, you can't just shut power off whenever the wind starts to blow. So now they have this many, many, many billion dollar program to put the power lines underground. So they're undergrounding a lot of their key lines right now. Think about think about Florida, yeah. Um, so the hurricanes, the, the hurricanes, yeah. Right? And you've got these above ground power lines. So not only do they does the power go out, yes. You know, when when people really need it, but yeah, you know, then think about the safety hazards of down power lines. So yeah, there, there's an initiative within within Florida to it's, it's a hardening project where they're taking a lot of these overhead lines and moving them underground. It, yeah. It also, it, it looks so much cleaner. Sure. Then it drives me nuts. Our, our old office, uh, it was on a street and it, I mean, it had, to, if I'm driving down the street from my house to the office, I bet every 60 or 80 feet I, I was, there, there was a, there was some utility line overhead that, that, that I was, I was driving under and it, yeah. it just, it looks like an eyesore and a lot of the, so I was in Denver. I'm like, where are the utilities? Oh, they're all underground. They, well, that's they, how Phoenix they, is. They've moved everything underground here. Yeah. And it looks so much better and it's safer. And yeah, and it's, it's great for, and it's great for GPRS as well. Well, it's great for your business. <laughs> yeah. Because now you're, a lot of this is not open cut. A lot of it's directional drilling. Right. And you've got to figure out what the heck's there before you start poking holes in the ground. Right. And I know- there's a lot of power programs. There's a lot of gas programs right now because these gas utilities, again, because they've had some catastrophic failures of, hey, there was gas leaking here for like weeks and you guys didn't catch it. And then there was an explosion that killed people. 
they're upgrading their whole, hey, anything over, uh, you know, uh, built before 1940 needs to be replaced within the next eight years. And so there's these massive programs to, to, to put in all this new gas infrastructure. But now you're weaving in and out of all the existing utilities. So, yeah, it's, it's not just electric. It's not just gas. Yeah. Think it's about water it, and everything. Well, think about the, the infrastructure we have with, with, within our country. I mean, it's, it's bridges. It's everything. Yes. It, it's, yeah. <laughs> it's, this is what keeps me up at night. It, it's, it's, it's utility systems. I mean, it's how many, yeah, the thing about Flint, Michigan, right? Uh, with, 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 with the, with the water crisis. So, they had yeah, bad piping. They're running water systems through. Yeah, basically poisoning the the, the, the people, and the, they're drinking this water. Yeah, and so we have uh, an aging infrastructure is, is a problem within our country. Yeah, and even if we, and that's one of my key points is even if we stopped growing, you everything's still getting older, and a lot of this stuff is really really old that's what this book got into how old these power lines were it's like well before world war ii some of these went in it's like what what they're that like infrastructure this critical is this old and no one's talking about this and what was we know so much more you know, now 80 years later than we than we did then yeah and a lot of the material that was used back then it does break down and, and a lot of pipes are asbestos. That was a very common uh, form of even just pipe was, yeah, asbestos pipe and lead pipe. Right. I'm trying to be a little careful about what I, what I say here, yeah. but, but yes. Well, the, the, I can say this stuff. There, yeah. are, there, are, there are problems here that, that we, need to, we need to fix. Which, and GPRS is positioned very well. To help. To help. To, to, yeah. yeah as, as, as the excavations that are necessary to replace and repair this aging infrastructure, GPRS is there to assure that when those excavations take place, that nothing else is getting shut down. We're not replacing the the infrastructure, sure. but we are yeah. working with the companies who are to help them avoid further damage or unexpected damage uh, when they're going through their operation to fulfill their obligation to replace. You know, whatever it is that they are replacing. What's the what's the split now roughly between buildings and ground? So I would say about sixty percent of our revenue today is underground utility wow. related damage wow. damage prevention associated with underground utilities. That's amazing. About thirty percent of our revenue today is on concrete sure. applications. And then the other ten percent are from those newer service lines. So Cameras and video pipe inspection. 3D laser scanning uh, and uh, leak detection services, water leak detection services. How does that work? So it's acoustic. So we will, we've got a tool that we place over the pipe and then we listen for flow you know, through the pipe. And then it takes a lot of this skill and training to be able to you know, determine the difference between a pipe that, that, that's where there's consistent flow. And then when you can when you can hear hear the leak, I, I saw one of our guys in Southern California put on LinkedIn, and there's a there's a T in a, in a water line, uh-huh. and he absolutely pinpointed the exact placement of of this of this leak, and that that's a that's a pretty great feeling. Wow. When, 
again, aging infrastructure. Mm-hmm. So you think about it, it would be a terrifying number to think about the millions of gallons of water loss mm-hmm. that we're experiencing across the country on a daily basis. And what happens as, as the water leaks out of these, out of these pipes? What does what, what does that do to the underground? Yeah, is that safe? Yeah, the, the earth starts to get a little squishy. Water's got to go somewhere. Uh huh. Yeah. So, yeah, it has to go somewhere. Yeah, it can't just it can't just stay there. Right. You can't compress water. Right. Yeah. Um. And again, growing up in Phoenix, Arizona, every once in a while, anybody in Phoenix, Arizona, can probably relate to this. You you see like a sprinkler, and the the sprinkler is malfunctioning so it's like a fountain the old geyser yeah, yeah and yeah. you just sit there you're like oh, that's such a shame that's a lot of water getting wasted there and to think that that's a very 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 small fraction of probably what's going on underneath uh, yeah. what about with like, just leaks what about like 16 inch pipes (laughs) that are thousands of gallons of high pressure thousands of gallons per minute coming through yeah yeah it it could be a a scary scenario yeah it's utilities are i know too much now i feel like I, i there's a lot of days where i wish i could just be ignorant like most other people and just you know, the water just comes out of the tap. I don't need to think about how it gets there. But okay, okay. I yes. On the other hand, there's 330 million people in this country. Yes. And when you turn on your water, it comes out. That but and, that it's a it, miracle that that happens and it's clean. Yeah, it, I it to me, to me that's one of the most that's one of the most amazing modern marvels. And and I was listening to a, an interview with somebody and they were basically saying, hey, uh, like the the longevity in people's life, life, lives today, lives over the past hundred years, especially 200 years, especially is attributed to medicine, but it's not medicine that's really extended people's lives. It's sanitation. It's consistent waste services. It's consistent sewer services. It's consistent water services. And I was thinking about that. I was like, wow, that's true because a hundred years ago consistent clean drinking water it was an uncertainty still like a warm shower every morning wasn't a thing and that's not that long ago uh and to have that every day without thinking about it is mind-boggling yeah, if you wanted to heat your house you did, right, right. no good luck turn on your furnace you, you throw go cut wood and throw yeah. it throw it in the in the stove and yeah and, then if if it's really cold, you better sleep pretty close to that stove. Sure. Yeah. 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 And you better put enough wood in there for the next morning. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's so I I think about it all the time though. So, yes, we our our country has grown tremendously. Yeah. And so yes, some of the systems have their flaws, but think about you know, how good we have it. You, you turn the light switch on it, those lights are coming yeah. it, 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 it's in, yeah. in, instant i mean yeah it, so yes we we definitely have our flaws but yeah we also have there's so much we take for granted mm-hmm. that, yeah yeah no it's 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 amazing how it all works um those cameras are pretty sweet too i know those are they they can cost a pretty penny though yeah those little 
they look like these little things that should go on the moon. These little, uh, like these little, yeah, little cars that run through the pipe. Yeah, but they're really, they're really beefy because they're built to go through sewers. Yes. And the cameras, the kind of small bit, I mean, these things are so pretty substantial. What's really cool, and not a lot of people know this. Yeah, we, we've got, it's little, looks like a little remote control car. And then we run the, run the camera through the sewer. But, you know, we have the technology now that we can turn and run a camera up the lateral as well. So it's not just the main line inspection that we can do. We can actually run up laterals as well, you know, feeding into that main line. To explain a lateral, every street typically, put very basically, has a sewer line. Yes. Like a main line running down that street. And then there's laterals from each building. Each property, right. Property feeding into that main line. Right. And sometimes those laterals get backed up or have issues or yes. whatever it is. Uh, correct. That's, yeah. exa- that's exactly it. Yeah. And if that lateral is feeding a whole apartment building, you've got a big issue on your hands. So, yeah, the, the you know, formerly you know, we had good ways to inspect the main line, but not the, not the laterals. And now we've got this lateral launch system. So while our camera's in the main line, we can run up and, and, and inspect lateral as well. It, it, it's, it, it's good, solid innovation that uh, yeah, it, it's an extremely valuable service. In, um, yeah, I've put a video of one on the internet and it just took off. I don't even know why, because it's not even that cool, but it's one of those little things coming out of a storm drain. They're like pulling it, pulling it up, kind of yanking it up from its, from its back end and back into the truck. And people just love seeing it for some reason. It's, it's a, it's a neat job. Yeah. Our, our, our project managers who run the video pipe inspection, they've, they've found some interesting things in our sewer systems. I'm sure. Yeah. Especially lot, in Florida. A lot of, a lot of critters. Yeah. yeah snakes. There's probably some wild stuff in so, Florida sewers. It's, it's, they, I don't think we've seen a gator on, on camera yet, but we've seen, a lot of snakes. We've yeah. seen raccoons and yeah, it, it's <laughs> interesting for sure. Yeah. So we, uh, my very first job was a, a concrete, um, concrete storm drain we were putting in and I found the project. It's, it really ramped up when I was still a senior in high school. And then I got a job out right after school. Cause then I could go to work during the day. And so we were on kind of the back end of the job. So I helped them finish out the back end. And the, 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 the pipe at the very beginning, was it was tying into like 120-inch concrete pipe. So it was monster mm. pipe, really cool. And then it just starts to get smaller and smaller and smaller as you go. So the, the last pipe we were putting in was like 40-inch probably at the, at the other end. So we finish everything up and we get the, the curb and gutter in and all buttoned up. And the, the final job, one of the punch list items was me and the foreman, Eric, we had to walk through the damn storm drain <laughs> and, and he hands me like a ax handle <laughs> before we got out there. I'm like, what do I need this for? He's like, just in case. <laughs> so, so I have this ax handle. He has a flashlight and a video camera and we climb down the manhole and we're, you know, starting out, you're kind of scrunched up in there. I'm a small guy, but you're still scrunched up in 40-inch pipe. And then it starts to get bigger and bigger and bigger. And at the the end we started at, that was the stuff we just put in. So it wasn't there for very long. But as you get further down the line, you start it starts to get a little, a little more spooky. Uh, there's some more stuff in there, you know, more 
spiders, big spiders. It was and, not intended when it uh, when it was built, when, yeah, when it was yeah. installed, right? Yeah, but <laughs> but you know, you get down to the end and you're just looking into this black abyss and there's all kinds of stuff down there and it's only been there for like nine months. And then you think, what it, what would be down here after 20, 30 years? Right. You'd have no idea. Yeah. All kinds of stuff. Snakes. Snakes, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we, we don't have those kind of snakes in Arizona though, but in Florida, yeah. there are some wild snakes. Most of them are um, from all over the world and yeah. invasive. Yeah, they've got that. Uh, I know the Everglades. They've got the invasive. Is it Burmese python? Yeah, that, huge pythons. Right. Yeah, right. that they kill on site because they're they're causing so many problems and eating so much stuff. Right. Um. Yeah, that's an interesting job. And then you get a van too. Are are yours in your like yes. uh, like a sprinter van? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. and they have. It's almost like an office in those things. Yeah, and, and we got a whole workstation set up in the back: a desk, chair, a computer. I mean, it, it's. Yeah. So you run the camera. From like the workstation. Yes. It's all remote. Yes. And you're watching on a TV screen in there, essentially. That is correct. Yeah. It's pretty sweet. Pretty. It's super cool. We've, we've outfitted them well. So, yeah, it, it's a it's a certainly as comfortable a space as you can as you can have you know, running a camera through a, through a sewer line. Well, it's like yeah. an office. I yeah. mean, you're almost sitting in an office because the whole, like the the little machine it just feeds the cable as it goes and then retracts the cable as it comes back i think it's 800 feet 800 feet we, we, we can run it yeah wow so, those vans are not cheap certainly more than yeah, manhole to manhole uh there are access points we can you know, cover some cover some ground yeah um post covid all these big corporations are trying to figure out the work from home thing and the remote business thing and they're not doing a very good job at it um, but your business has essentially been a remote business from the beginning for our field team for, for your field team. Yeah. yeah. But your, your primary business, it's just like, how many cities are you in right now? 54, 54. Yeah. So how, how do you effectively guide a business with people scattered in 54 cities? A, a phenomenal team of managers. So this is, I will, I will go toe to toe with anybody who wants to argue with me on this. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you take any business and look at its performance. When things go well, the CEO gets too much credit. Sure. When things go poorly, the CEO gets assigned too much blame. Yeah. But yeah, this this business became bigger than me as soon as I hired the first employee, John Kessinger, in July of two thousand two. Yeah, I've been yeah, extremely blessed with the, the people that we've brought into this company. Uh, I did everything that you weren't, if you read about books, what you're not supposed to do, yeah. I, I did the opposite. I hired my friends. I put them you know, hundreds, sometimes thousands of miles away where I could not give them direct oversight. Mm -hmm. I trained them. I showed them how to do this well. But then I had to just trust them. And that, that, that core team of people that we put together at the beginning is still largely percent in place, probably 90% yeah, still, still in place. And I mean, the, the, the credit for the growth goes to that whole team of people who yeah, helped me build the business. I mean, uh, if I look at the, our West Coast, we are the first guy we hired out West was in Phoenix. And his name's Jason Walker. And he's been with us since 2008. 
he called me about two weeks after. Yeah, he started in Phoenix, and he said, "Hey, Matt, you know, what would you think about me you know, going over to Los Angeles occasionally and, and and trying to build up this business in Los Angeles?" Sure, I mean, if, if you want to do that, it's like a six or seven hour drive from Phoenix. Yeah. So for the next two years, Jason built our business in Arizona, and all the way he was making this commute between. Phoenix, San Diego, L.A., San Francisco, and Vegas. And in the, he would just go wherever he needed to be in that area you know, for, for two years. Yeah. And, A lot of windshield time in the desert. And yeah. then, we, then we started getting more consistent work in, in different cities. And we hired people and put them in those cities. And Jason grew his team. Now Southern California is our number one market in the, in the country. We've got... Yeah. 35 project managers in, in Southern California. Wow. So, wow. Yeah. So you, you communicate through them and then they essentially communicate on yeah, from there. We, we, we have a team of teams yeah. within, within GPRS. Yeah. yeah. Do you spend time out in the field nowadays? Do you, you probably travel quite a bit? Not a ton. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm probably gone three or four nights a month. Huh. Oh, that's uh, not as nearly as much as I thought it'd be. Right. Yeah. Uh, but I'll go, I'll get into the field a few times a year for sure and visit guys on job sites and I'm going to one here in Nashville when uh, when we're done sure. here and yeah uh, you know, it's 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 great just to go out and encourage the guys and look at some of the remarkable work that that we're doing last year we did about 120 thousand jobs and uh, we had a reported incident rate where we missed something. Um, 0.13% of those 120,000 jobs. So, Holy smokes. So 156 incidents on 120,000 jobs. It's pretty good. And I know it's, you'd still say it's too high. We're, we're, our goal is 100% subsurface damage prevention. Uh-huh. That, 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 that's, the, that's the long-term goal of GPRS. So 9987 is pretty good. Yeah, but it's it's not a hundred percent. How do you? Is it training to get to that level? It's like so the technology is there. Training is 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 a key piece. Yeah. So if you think about that, let's just kind of back into some numbers here. We were at, go back to twenty seventeen. Yeah, about forty million in revenue this year. We'll do about one seventy five. So. A little over, you know, four times growth in, in seven years. So you need four times the number of, of field staff. But as the company grows, you've got to create some new management positions as well. So what we've done is we've taken some of our most experienced and skilled people who are out delivering our services on a daily basis, and they're no longer delivering the services, but they're in charge of so we pulled some of our most experienced yeah. people out of the field and replaced them with people who are you know, just trained how to do this. Mm. While we've done that, the, our incident rate has decreased. Yeah, we were sitting around in a strategy session a few years ago thinking, what's going to happen as we, as we grow? And we do have to do this. We have to take our most experienced people, some of our most experienced people, out of the field mm-hmm. and replace them with people just out of training. Yeah, what's what's going to happen? And 
this what has happened since it's it's better than i would have what i would have called the best case scenario Mm. uh but our training team is exceptional we Mm. we we bought a warehouse a few years ago and you know first order business with this new warehouse is we cut out a 3200 square foot section of floor Mm-hmm. And we built a training slab. That's very cool. So, yeah, it, it starts out on the on the west end. It, it starts out pretty easy. You see some of that twelve by twelve rebar, and uh-huh. there might be an electrical conduit once once in a while. As you move from west to east on this training slab, oh, you've got beams. Oh, you've got bursting steel. Uh-huh. Oh, you've you've got you've got temperature cables and and, and post tension cables. You've got smurf tube mixed into yeah in, into the into the concrete as well wow. and so in the program we will graduate people you know and these are these are real on-site conditions what they're going to face when they're out in the field on, on their own and but it, we, we see the change in the confidence mm-hmm. but when we get a brand new person in training they've been in the field for a few weeks but then they come back to our office go through our program and we see the change in the confidence where they're a little little shaky at first. And then they spend a few weeks in Toledo, you know, working with our training team and the, the, the confidence just, it, it grows quickly. And I, I have an optimistic view on people. I think everybody wants to do well at their job and they start to take advantage when they feel like they're getting taken advantage of or, you know, hey, my this company doesn't care about me so i'm not going to care about it but if you pour into them and if you equip them to do their job more effectively they'll do their job more effectively most of the time yes we we want to create an elite team yeah so we have going back to the very beginning of the company yeah so i I, I talked about creating this awareness being a a challenge and in the beginning yeah, you know, we would on days we didn't have jobs, we would go meet with people in their offices, or we'd we'd stop by construction sites to try to create this awareness and and try to gain opportunities to to show how we can bring value. And then it got to a point where we enjoyed doing that so much that when we were actually called to go do a job, it took away from the opportunity to mm-hmm. go build the business. Yeah. But we we had to change our mindset a little bit. We came up with a saying, and that saying is, and it still applies today, our best sales call is a job well done. And so think about the work that we do. It's very black and white. Mm-hmm. We're right or we're wrong. Yeah. And if we're wrong, the saw blade's not going to lie. Sure. The, the bucket on the backhoe is not going to lie. And there's no one else you can blame. Like, right. wait a minute. Yeah, it was that guy. Right. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, it takes an elite level of performance to uh, elite level of training to get people to that performance where we're now at 99.87. We'll see, we'll see what it, well, that was the number for 2023. Mm-hmm. We'll see what it winds up for 24. I'm confident that'll be better than 99.87. That's amazing. Are you all, can you be, are you liable for that? So yeah, we have, we have a, a stout yeah. insurance policy. Well, yeah, I'm sure it's a heck of an insurance policy, but yeah, you, you, you can be liable if, if, if you mark things if, wrong. If it's our fault. Yeah. And it, it, it's not always our fault. Sure. But uh, if, if there's an incident on a site, 
Uh, if, if it's our fault, then we step up and we, I mean, there are limitations that are associated with the equipment mm-hmm. that, so we're not going to find a two inch plastic conduit yeah, if it's buried seven feet deep. Yeah. It, it, that's going to be you know, really, really difficult for us to see. Yeah. Uh, and, and so there's some limitations that are associated with our equipment that we can't necessarily overcome, but through the use of multiple technologies, being able to clamp onto tracer wires, being able to you know, run cameras you know, through storm sewers. Storm sewers are often buried you know, very deep, mm-hmm. sometimes deeper than what GPR will be able to see. Sure. But through the use of that video pipe inspection and the sounds that we can attach to the camera, then we can put a more comprehensive you know, you know, findings to, together uh, you know, for, for all utilities on site. It's like every site is a little puzzle. I mean, these people, they're not just doing a job. They're solving a little puzzle with every job they're doing because every job's different. So that's one of the beauties of the sitemap program that we're building. Uh-huh. But it's not just for our customers. It's for our, it's for our project managers as well. Sure. So when they show up to a site and they can pull up sitemap and say, okay, yeah, I'm, I'm, we've been here before. Here's everything that we've found. Mm. I would say it's kind of like starting on second base. Yeah. And so yeah. let's say they're, having, they're, they're struggling with finding you know, a gas line. They can go to sitemap. Oh, oh there, there, there is a gas line here. And now I'm going to hone in in this area because this was marked here before. And I can see when it was marked. I can see how deep it is. I can see who it was marked by. Uh-huh. And so, yeah, it's a, it's a game changer for us and for our customer base as well. Have you read about um, Bertha in Seattle, the tunnel boring, tunnel boring machine? I've not. That ran into a, a steel pipe, like an eight-inch pipe, and it, it busted the whole machine? No. And caused like a billion dollars in overruns? No. <laughs> Read about that yeah. one. Okay. It's wild. Yeah. they And I think I've told this story a hundred times, but they it's the biggest tunnel boring machine in the world at the time. This thing's like 60 feet in diameter. It's a monster because they're going to do one tunnel under Seattle to replace there's the there was this viaduct that they started to look at it and they're like mm, we get a we get an earthquake in the wrong place right place this thing's no more so we probably got to do something about it and some guy was like why don't we just put a tunnel under the city like why don't we just get rid of it and and that was the option so they they built this big pit on one side of the city and it's only like a mile and a half it's not a very long tunnel but they design it so that it's one big tunnel so they can put two decks of traffic within the same tunnel oh, so geez. they don't have to, to board two tunnels simultaneously so they 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 have this monster machine and they get going and the the boring machine overheats and just stops like a hundred yards in not even they they just get this thing going and and it's you know, these machines are $50 million plus, maybe, maybe more than that. I don't know, but they get going. It just overheats and stops. They pull it, they pull it back. They go out in front of the face and they, they discovered the whole thing, the whole cutting edge, the whole cutting, the, the cutting face of this, this machine is all completely mangled because it ran into like an eight inch steel casing, an eight inch steel pipe or like 10 inch, not even a very big pipe for like environmental monitoring. I think <laughs> it was that, that no one knew was there. So this one little steel pipe mangles this whole machine and you don't just back this thing up. So then they have to dig a pit over the machine, pull it out. And it's how deep? It's not super deep, but it, it, you're in an urban area. So 
just the pit alone, you're probably spending $100 million to just dig this hole and shore it and engineer it and then get this thing out and bring in these you know heavy lift gantry cranes. And then you have to go rebuild the whole machine and then it put it back in and then start it again. And it ended up being years yeah. beyond, behind schedule, billions of dollars over budget. And it became this whole legal quagmire over this one steel pipe. Right. It's <laughs> just, it's just crazy yeah. that just one, one utility, one piece of pipe can cause that much chaos. Oh, I, I know it's 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 huge. We work at yeah some of these data centers, and oh, the data centers. You yeah. hit the wrong conduit, data center. That's it. Yeah, that's it. You get a fiber. You get a fiber line at a data center, <laughs> yeah. and. Yeah, they're, they're, it's one of the first uh, things that, that they, they say. Well, you, well, we, we get out of, out of our truck. Hey, man, if we hit one of these fiber lines, we're looking at like two million a minute. Yeah, yeah. The rainbow roots, stay away yeah. from them. <laughs> we don't want to see any rainbow roots, man. <laughs> we were. Yeah. Uh, I was in Manhattan, and they were they were wrapping these big lines in carbon fiber. We're like, what's going on there? They're like, oh yeah, those are the main power cables for Manhattan, and it's like excuse me, <laughs> what? And they were so valuable, they couldn't dig around them. So they had to use uh, pressure, uh, air air knives to, to blow the material off these lines because they couldn't even get near them with a shovel. And then they would wrap them all in carbon fiber to make them good for another 50 plus years or whatever it is. But it was this whole delicate process for these lines. The power cables were so big, these are oil-cooled lines. And I didn't know they existed until this point. Uh, but it's... Yeah, you hit that, the whole place shuts down. See, that's, just, that's the stuff that was not happening 80 years ago. Yeah. Going, going back to the yeah. earlier conversations, right? Um, no, it's really exciting what you guys are doing. Yeah. Uh, how do you, uh, how do people learn more about what you all are doing? So, yeah, our, our website, uh, gprsinc.com, uh, it's very comprehensive. Uh, we, we post a lot on LinkedIn. If you just search GP, okay. GPRS on LinkedIn, there's, there's new content. On there, on there every day. Because, like you said, it's a lot of educating. It is, yeah, yeah. So, I think we've done a better job of, of creating that awareness, yeah. but there's still there's still a long way to go on, sure. on, on the on the awareness side. I mean, we're, yeah, with as many times as I've been out on sites, I can think of one time I've seen ground penetrating radar get used, and I've been to a lot of utility sites. I know you have. Yeah, that, that, that's not uh, that's not the number that we we need to hear. Yeah. Well, it's, it's, and when I saw it, it's like, that makes sense to me. That's pretty cool. But right. until you, most people probably don't, still don't even know it exists because it is, it's kind of like witchcraft in a way. Well, yeah. I, mean, I know it's, it's just physics, it's, it's, but it's, it's like, it's, it's, like mm. we, we get, we get, we get told that sometimes, you know, oh, okay. Uh, yeah, I'm going to go get my divining rods, <laughs> bend, bend, bend the coat hangers and, 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 and wait for them to cross. But uh, no, we, we, we've, we've, We've put a great program in place. We call it SIM, Subsurface Investigation Methodology, where we've created a process around what we do. And that's what leads to that 99.87% on mm-hmm. our, our, our incident rate. Yeah. Well, you don't get a rate like that by accident. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I take it just beyond learning about what y'all do, you're hiring quite a few people this year? Uh, we are. We are hiring our our field staff for sure we've, staff, we've, yeah. we've got a we've got a good support team yeah. uh in the office but yes uh, when we've got those postings on our on our website I'm, i imagine there's probably a dozen on there right now but it's it, and it's thinking through 
the just job standpoint, it's probably a pretty solid job because it's at least very mentally stimulating. Like oh, you, you're if, not getting if you bored. Like, if you like solving problems, yeah, this is this is a great job. Yeah, uh, yeah, it's and we've got people from various backgrounds. We've got a lot of former military. I see. We have law enforcement. We have teachers. We have we have, we have trades. We have some athletes. You know, it doesn't. I don't want to say it doesn't matter. We 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 absolutely care about what your background is, where you came from. But the, the what matters more to us is we have a saying within our company: we hire character, then we teach skill. Mm-hmm. So if we get the right person and they're willing to work and they're willing to learn, mm-hmm. we can teach the skill. We we can make them an elite performer with when when it comes to the services we provide. Well, a lot of companies say that though. Like I think. Any company would be like, of course, we hire on character, we teach on skill. Yeah, of course we do, but most of them don't do that. Uh, we've got a proven model that would, that seems would, like it. That would show otherwise. Yeah, yeah, it seems like it. Yeah. Um, okay, cool. Well, I'm I'm really happy you were able to stop by and we were able to I really to chat. enjoyed this. Uh, this this was this was a lot of fun. Really appreciate the opportunity. Thank yeah. you.